Tuesday, and welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. Visit the website, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call, 405-458-9699. When you visit the website and you order online, use the discount code ColbyShow, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, ColbyShow, to save 15% off your online order Again, the website is fantastic, abotanicalcompany.com, easy and safe pickup. So uh, check it out. And like I said, uh, check out their line of natural medicine products, um, a bunch of different stuff, including Kratom. And, you know, talk to them, educate yourself, find out how you can benefit in your daily life from what they have to offer. And that's what they're all about is helping people live a better life. So Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. All right, getting ready for today's show. My guest is Eric G with the Tulsa Sports Animal. We're going to talk uh, a lot of college football, a lot about the Heisman Trophy, um, the the political factors involved in the Heisman Trophy, and then we're going to wrap things up with Oklahoma and the the championship or bust, I think, mentality going into next season. You want to say anything? No. Okay. He, uh, he told me right as we started recording that he wanted to uh, be on the video today. So uh, I think he just wants to see his face and not hear his voice. So there you go. Is that it? Is that all you got? All right. Sounds good. Do you want to say bye to everybody? Bye, everybody. <laughs> all right. Here is Eric G on the Colby Daniels podcast. Eric, happy new year. How's your 2021 going? So far, so good. You know, we're what, five, five, six days into, five days into the new year. And so far, it, the new year's been great because unlike 2020, which took away people like Neil Peart and Eddie Van Halen, we got Tanya Roberts back. So for those of us who are old enough to remember her in Beauty Kill as one of the best looking Bond girls, we thought she died two days ago. And now we find out that she didn't die. So 2021 is batting a thousand so far. So congratulations, you're already off to a better start than 2020. You gave us back a Bond girl, and that that's not nothing. The resurrection. Ooh, we got to think. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I still don't know the details of this thing. Like, how did, how did that story get out? Because I guess there was, like, some – I saw some story along the lines of, like, her husband held her in the final minutes of her life or something like that. Like, how does that get out, a detail like that get out if it's completely untrue? I have no idea. I mean, my first thought, like, I, I haven't, like, I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't read the stories because it's more fun to kind of speculate on what's going on. My first thought was, husband and publicist put it out. That seems like somebody was trying to commit insurance fraud. That's <laughs> kind of the first thing where my, where my mind went to is like, oh, hey, if we just say she's dead and maybe everybody's hurting, we can kind of get the insurance money from her death and go live happily ever after. Tanya, you just can't, you can't go out anymore. You, you have to stay in the house forever, but we'll, but we will live, uh, we will live comfortably off whatever insurance money you're going to get. And that's kind of the first thing I thought. I have no idea. That is, that honestly has to go down as one of the weirdest stories I've seen in pop culture in quite some time. And that's saying something. No, that's absolutely saying something. It almost makes me think, and I'm not saying that she was involved, but maybe there was like a publicist that thought, you know what, the job offers just aren't really rolling in. Let's get her back in the news cycle. And then maybe there's some film that says, hey, she's in the news cycle. She's going to draw attention if we hire her. I mean, you know how these things work. 
Yeah, I mean, just what the best you can probably hope for is like a maybe a Hallmark movie or a made for TV something. I'm not, I'm not sure that even during her prime, Tanya Roberts was necessarily a hot commodity. Right. She got to do a Bond film. She got to do Charlie's Angels. She was on that 70s show. But I honestly don't know how many people would know her walking down the street if you didn't invest time in any of the things that she was in. And after Charlie Angels, I mean, really, Charlie's Angels, who am I thinking of? Um, Not the girl that replaced Farrah Fawcett after she left was that show even worth watching. And Cheryl Ladd, that's the one I'm thinking of. After Cheryl Ladd left, was that show worth watching anymore? So yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe they were on. Maybe they were on together. But if she had her, you know, again, she got resurrected for fifteen minutes of fame. I'm not going <laughs> to hate on her for that. It's a strange way to get famous, but yeah. As we, Kobe, as we've learned in our business, people who are famous, even on very low levels weird people for sure just weird i mean they, they don't think the, the way a normal person would think get up go to work take care of their family do normal things go to the grocery store drop kids off at school that's not how famous people think they're always trying to think about how to keep themselves in the public eye because that's how they get validation and when that's how you get all your validation then that's where that's where all your thoughts go So that's why we see people who, even after years of being out of the media, sometimes will pop up on social media. I'm not saying they all do that, but there's a lot of them that do just to to keep, they they, they just want to keep reminding you that they're out there. Hey, don't forget me. Interact with me. I'm over here. I'm hawking this product, doing whatever. And it's a, it's, it's a weird space. Somebody ought to do a a psychological exam on anybody who wants to be famous because I'd love to see the results. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I saw the headline that even said... My, even my own. <laughs> I mean, look, that's that's the whole reason people are on social media, right? There's a certain amount of, of I think, uh, attention-seeking, so to speak, that that uh, I think everybody, for that matter, not... Well, maybe not everybody, but even if you don't want to be famous, just being on social media, there's a certain amount of attention that that you're hoping to get out of that. So, um, yeah, I, I, that would be that would be interesting for sure. Uh, I, I read the headline: Ashton Kutcher informs that '70s show cast uh, that Tanya Roberts isn't dead. And for those that don't know, she played Midge on that '70s show. I read that, and and immediately my mind went to Ashton Kutcher's punking the entire country. Like he's bringing the show back in 2020. He's punking the country. That, you know, honestly, I'd be cool with that because of all the people on that show, that after that show is done, he is the one I like the best off that show. He is a, he's an intelligent dude. I mean, there, there is more to him beyond just what you see on TV and him playing the dumb character of Kelso. He's, he, very wisely invested his money in several different companies. He's actually a humanitarian. Uh, I thought punk, uh, punk to me was one of the most brilliant, fun ideas that anyone has ever done for television. And it's one of those that, that if you weren't into the show, it was kind of hard to appreciate, but go back and look at it. Now for anyone that likes playing practical jokes, it spawned something like impractical jokers. 
I mean, there's there, there, people like to laugh. People like to have fun. And if you can laugh at yourself and you can be part of the joke, uh, especially when it seems like your whole life has been turned upside down, <laughs> you, be, you become that much more likable. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a hard lesson to learn, but, but asking Kutcher, that show was fantastic. Maybe he was. Maybe we'll find out that this, yeah. they pumped everyone. And we're not only resurrecting the show, but we're going to go bigger with the jokes this time. Yeah, which I would wait with bated breath on. It was it was a brilliant idea. The problem is like people very quickly caught on to the concept, and like it just became a thing. Like anytime something crazy was happening, people were like, "Am I being punked?" Like so, I mean, the surprise very quickly disappeared. Even when people weren't getting punked, that became the joke, right? Like, is Ashton Kutcher here somewhere? I feel like I'm being punk because this is so outlandish what is happening to me right now. So, yeah. Well, that's when, that, that's when you've got to, and I have to admit, I only watched the, a few episodes of the show, but that's when you've got to dig a little bit deeper and you've got to get down into normal people, people that don't be, I mean, look, yeah. for as popular as that show was, there were millions that didn't watch the show. I mean, that's, just, that's with, with every show. For as huge as you think you are, there are more people that infinitely don't know who you are than know who you are. So you've got to dig down, find people that don't watch the show and keep mining it. You probably could have gone for another five years doing it that way, but you know, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of planning. Um, but Hey, thanks for for giving us the last that you did. I mean, that, that won't, that won't go unnoticed. Ashton Kutcher. Um, when, when you're at the pearly gates, God's going to be like, man, that one episode (laughs) provided some, some laughs when, when it was desperately needed. The problem is I don't really care about Hank from West Virginia getting punked. I mean, it was kind of cool to see, like, I don't, I don't, I don't even remember who the celebrities were, but you know, to see Britney Spears get punked is a much greater thing in everybody's book than, like I said, some random guy named Hank or, you know, whoever. See, I like it when normal people get punked. I, I like seeing normal people have a little bit of their life being disrupted because with, with famous people, it, it, it happens. Uh, with famous people, it happens because jobs are fleeting and, and they tend to bounce back. But you, you know, you, you jack with, you know, Joe from West Virginia or who are Hank from West Virginia, <laughs> you might get a, you might get a heck of a reaction. You never know what you're going to get. Um, you know, when, when a carpet cleaner comes into his house and says that he can't get that blood stain out, his <laughs> wife said, oh, look, your wife oh, called me, man. man. I, look, all I know is I can't get this blood stain out, and I, I'm going to have to call the cops on this. So. See, the problem, hey, I feel like Hank wades through the shit every single day, and he has to live in the real world every <laughs> single day, and he's literally one blood stain on the carpet away from snapping and just... Like being like, you know what? I'm taking everybody with me. These celebrities, they live in such, you know, this this cloud city type world. It's good to see them, I think, on camera at least, <laughs> stressing and sweating a little bit. No, that's that's good. Well, <laughs> it, yeah, and, and and money seems to be a little bit more fleeting for Hank than it does celebrities. Even right, though there's right. a lot of celebrities go broke because they have no idea how to how to manage their cash. Yeah, uh, like I'm one to talk. Um, but there's there always seems to be like a, a next job for anybody willing to sell a little bit of their soul. Now Hank loses his job. 
he may not, he may only have two or three options left to feed his family. So yeah, I I can see where that <laughs> where, where, where that could be a hell of a lot more stressful for him than it would be for you know for somebody like Christina Aguilera, you know, <laughs> who was told she was good. Oh, she was going to have to be. She was going to have to give up something. No, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Punked was a good show though. It, that was like back in right in the like wheelhouse of the MTV days, right? Uh, for you, it was. For me, the wheelhouse of the MTV days were Headbangers Ball and Yo MTV Rap. Remote okay. Control. Yeah. Early, I, like, I jumped on MTV young. Like, I saw MTV for the first time when I was, like, eight years old, and it blew my mind. Because even at that age, I was such a music fan. Yeah. Like, I, all I did from the time I was, like, seven to the time I was like, well, now it's just listen to the radio, listen to music, want to go to record stores, buy music. It was always music and sports with me. And the fact that I could turn on the TV and see in the early 80s, at that time, it would be like the Jake Dial fan or Joe Jett or David Bowie and learn about some new band from England called Duran Duran. That was like mind blowing. Right. And for me, as someone who never really wanted to be put in the pocket as like a metal fan or a punk fan or a new wave fan, it was better than a radio station for music because it was feeding me all the different types of music. And then you splinter off and you have shows like 120 Minutes and Headbangers Ball and you start learning about why alternative kids don't like metal kids and vice versa. And you get Yo! MTV rap. And it introduced me to a lot of, a lot of artists and a lot of t- different types of music I would not have gotten into had I just really only had the radio and growing up, that's all you had to, to get your music. It was that and record stores. And unless you were old enough to have a car and go to certain parts of Dallas or certain parts of Norman, Oklahoma, and get into where like your, your smithereens were being sold or social distortion or... Jesus and Mary Chain or, you know, bands like that, you were basically just getting everything mainstream. MTV took me away from the mainstream and maybe had a great, greater appreciation of what music was. And it just sort of distorted my view where I thought, man, rock and roll is just rock and roll. And it wasn't until I moved to Norman that I found out, no, 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 no. If you like this band, you can't like this band, which I still think is a bunch of crap, but that's another thing. But yeah, you, that was my wheelhouse all the way through college. Um, through the unplugged and all that. And then punk in that era, that's where I kind of, I faded out because good pro, still really good programming. It was just less of what I was, I was used to. Right. Yeah. And that as a broadcaster kind of, that, that as a broadcaster kind of taught me everything evolved. That the only thing constant in this business is, is evolving and changing. And that there <laughs> right. are very few formats that hold any sort of solid ground. The one we're in does sports pubs. Well, even sports pubs change. I mean, if you go around, you go around America and listen, it went from, especially in Oklahoma city, a format that was very caller driven where you had callers, uh, guys like paintbrush and Toby and, um, Sonic sooner, all these guys that, 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 that used to call in killer me, all these guys that used to call into WWLS either in its first incarnation under John Fox or the current incarnation that it is now. All these people used to call it, they were the stars. Well, eventually, 
that went away. Um, and depending on where you are in any given market, there's a certain way to do sports talk radio and a certain way not to do sports talk radio in any given market. But it just, that changed. So now it's more about the host and their opinion and interacting through social media. And that's the way you want to interact. So again, everything evolves. In TV, if you ever want to get into broadcasting, learn the history of MTV because it'll teach you the one thing you need to know. Always be looking for the next thing. Yeah. My earliest memories Always. of MTV are like the, what was the Jenny McCarthy show? Uh, the dating show. Oh, the one that was like the like blind date or was something. It yeah, it was something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember like the, you know, she did the spring break things also like the, you know, whatever, when yes. they would have like spring break, she would do those. She had that dating show. Um, I was a, I was a real world geek, like the original reality show, the real world. I was, I loved all of those, but yeah, like that, that was kind of when I got into MTV. So I was, I was a little too young to be watching it when it was really like completely music driven. <laughs> it, um, you know, and a lot of that is an age thing. It's funny you see on Facebook. I remember when MTV played music videos. Well, yeah, yeah so do I. Yeah. Um, but everything changes. And, well, the, mu- the, the music the videos they were playing when I was, like, when I was watching it had completely shifted from your time as well because they were still doing music videos, but it was like Britney Spears and NSYNC and, like, that whole era. Yeah, less rock. Every Let's once in a while, you'd get like Blink One Eighty Two or somebody like that, but yeah. Well, and that's 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 the thing. I mean, it, it the, the great thing about MTV, and I, I, I'm assuming it's still that way. Although it looks like it's less that way with some of the movies um, that it's showing now. It VH1 showing a ton of movies, a ton of old movies. It, it was like, all right, our pocket is kids from the ages of twelve. You know, we're looking for 18 to 24, 12 to 24. There was a pocket there yeah. where it was your thing. They said, this is this is the audience that we want to get to. Here's where the money is. Here's where we're going to get most of our viewers. And they just shifted to, to what that age group wanted, what that age group was watching at the time. And everybody wants to complain about Teen Mom. Well, a group of teenagers didn't find music videos compelling anymore. Yeah. They found the train wreck compelling. So in order to survive, you have to do, you have to give them what they want. That was, and, um, you know, God rest his soul, Jeff Roughface, but I loved, the, I loved it when he used to tweet, <laughs> um, live tweet team mom. I never knew what the hell he was talking about because I, I can honestly say I've never seen a single episode of Team Mom. I mean, I get the concept of it, but yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would also just laugh when I would see the live tweets. Like, what in the hell is everybody, happening right now? Everybody loves the train wreck. No doubt, no doubt. It's why I, I ended up, I, I swore that I wouldn't jump on the Jersey Shore bandwagon like everybody else. And then they're like three seasons into the show, and I happen to be just really hung over one Saturday, like laying on my couch, and I think the remote was probably like out of reach. And I turned on the TV, laid on the couch, the remote was out of reach, and it was already on MTV, and there was a Jersey Shore marathon that day. And I was like, I really don't want to watch this show. But I also didn't want to go get the remote, so I ended up laying there and watching it all day long, and I was like, this is unbelievable. It's the train wreck of all train wrecks. And I was sold. 
my life is better than these people. Sort of. <laughs> right. As I'm vomiting into a trash can next to the couch. Yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> Speaking of compelling, uh, how compelling is the Heisman Trophy to you at this point? Do you do you still get excited about it, or did you ever, for that matter? I you know I I think for most people yeah. they, they consider it to be the most prestigious individual award in sports. Uh, does does it still have the same prestige in your mind? Yeah, it does. Um, and, and a little bit a little bit of this is you know sub glossing here, but but I voted on the Heisman for I think four years, four five years maybe a little bit longer than that. So, so I had the honor of doing that. So that still means something to me. Yeah. Um, I, and, and the thing I love about the award, the thing that makes the Heisman so fantastic is that it is still a very subjective award. There is a set of criteria that they give you, but it's vague criteria. It's about character. Obviously is what, what the guy did for his team character, would they be worthy of, of of having this award? And then they leave it up to you, the voters, to decide. And, and the other thing that one of the the most magnificent things about it is a lot of times it depends on your region. And if you're covering a team in the West, in the West, and you're going to games out there, you're covering the Pac-12 or the Mountain West or one of the other conferences there. And you're seeing some, some smaller kids who are having a good year and not giving not getting recognition. It gives you an opportunity to at least put them on a ballot to to validate what what their career is. And that's there's there's nothing wrong with that. People get mad about that, but you're you're a better judge of what you see in person than what you see on television and what you're being spoon fed by ESPN. Absolutely. And and other media want to hammer you for that. It's like, well, how could you vote for this guy? He plays in the Mountain West Conference. Well, he rushed for over 2,000 yards this year. Yes, but against what competition? Well, this is the guy I saw. Okay, you're telling me how good Kyle Trask is. But I also know that Kyle Trask has better receivers than anybody on this team. I also know that, that, that Kyle Trask is a better offensive line than what my guy has. And you start to have a really good discussion on how you get to that point. For athletes, one thing you, you learn if you, if, you, if you work with athletes, it's a frustrating award for them because they want a definite set of criteria that you've had to amass so many tackles or rush for this many yards or yeah. had this many wins. But then that takes away the essence of what the award is, and it just Picks them off, and and the phrase came up one time. Well, you're messing with somebody's livelihood because if they won the Heisman, you know, so many years after that, they can be Heisman voters, and or they can be um, they'll be a Heisman winner, and they can go to to all these shows and sign things Heisman winner, and they get money for that. It's like, no, you're not messing with someone's career. You're putting you're asked to give an opinion. You're asked to rank who you believe the three most worthy people are. And it doesn't say the three best players in college football. It says the three most worthy people of that, uh, of that award. And then you submit your vote. That's what you're asked to do. And the thing about it is when you're deciding who the best college football player is, that again, go back. It's subjective because 
it's very easy to look at stats and spectacular plays and, and the Heisman moments that for some reason were only seeing quarterbacks have these days. Yeah. But how do you know that the best player and the Dominican Sue was, was a great example of this. How do we know that Dominican Sue wasn't the best player in college football or it's a linebacker or a tight end who may not have the stats, but maybe the most fun. How do we know it's not a right guard? Yeah. Just for an example. Because you can't quantify with, with numbers yeah. like they're like you can see that a guy had statistically like for for example, let's just say somebody throws for like sixty touchdowns. You can see that that is a number that has never been achieved before. Whereas, like you can't quantify the greatness of like a left tackle, for example, other than like maybe saying he didn't give up a sack all year. But there's not like a there's not a way to quantify how much better or worse he was in a specific area. I guess uh, that can register the same way with like sixty touchdown passes. Right, and we want things to fit. We want our lives to fit nicely into a box. So yeah. we want our awards to fit nicely into the box. There has to be something tangible, which leads to another discussion. When you know, when it, when it comes to voting for the NFL Hall of Fame, you know, how many how many guys like you or I are really good at judging whether or not certain offensive linemen should get in? We're, we're not uh, voting for the AP All American team was one of the most stressful things I've ever done. I did it twice. Never, never want to do it again. It was stressful voting for that award because you had to vote on the line yeah. for a center, two guards, and two tackles. And in order to get those positions down, you had to wade through in a very short amount of time. I think it was about like max 72 hours. It was more like 48 hours. You had to wade through all this stuff that, that SIGs would send you about guys, yeah. and then you'd have to look up their draft status, or and I uh, called Ralph Russo from the AP, I'm like, man, dude, I'm struggling with this, you know, the, the words, he's like, look, if the guy's winning awards, the guy's on the all-conference team, you're probably good, so now you're sort of basing your opinion off what other people say right, about right, this yeah. guy, yeah. and I did not like, I didn't like that because I just didn't feel good about putting anyone down in those positions because I always felt like I was shorting someone. Like, not having sat down and talked to an offensive line coach or a head coach about, let's just say Bill Beanbow about Creed Humphrey. But the best judges to sit down and talk to Bill Beanbow, okay, what separates Creed Humphrey, Creed Humphrey's from, from, Creed Humphrey from every other lineman you've ever coached? And then get his insights and then make your decision based on that. That that that's that's a better way to do it. Um, and who knows, Creed Humphrey? Is, is there any doubt that I mean, Creed Humphreys is one of the best players in college football? I mean, would he not deserve a vote? So it's 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 fun. It's fun to have these discussions. Oh, but for sure. Stressful if you have to vote on them. No, yeah, I get. I totally get that. Um, you know, the criteria thing is always interesting to me because, like you said, if. <laughs> Excuse me. If I had, if I were voting on the award, what was it, 2009, I think, when Indomitian Sue uh, was playing for Nebraska, like literally every week, the guy was unblockable. He was getting double teamed every week and he was unblockable. He was the most dominating force in college football. For me, at least, I don't think there was any disputing that I, I thought he was the most outstanding player that year. I'll even go back to just a few years ago. In 2016, 
I thought I, I would have voted Deshaun Watson over Lamar Jackson. I thought Deshaun Watson was the most outstanding player all year long. Um, I, I think there was a certain expectation for how good that Clemson team should have been that year. And because the team didn't match those expectations, I think there was like this this idea that Deshaun Watson wasn't worthy. Um, and in the year before that, I would have voted Christian McCaffrey over Derrick Henry. Although I would say this, I thought both were extremely deserving. I just thought Christian McCaffrey had to carry essentially an entire team on his back with what he did, catching the ball, running the ball, special teams. Like he was just what I would identify as the most outstanding player in the country. But like you said, I think everybody is going to value or maybe weigh these things differently because there's not a set criteria. So I, I say all that to ask this question. If you were in charge of setting a certain criteria for the Heisman Trophy, like what would you put on that list? How would you define whether it's like statistics or big game performances or consistency? Like how what are the what are the criteria that you would want involved in trying to maybe pinpoint a Heisman Trophy winner in a in a more specific way? Okay, I'm I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do you dirty here. Um, and not answer the question because oh. honestly, I, I would. I, 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 but here's what I would say: I wouldn't change the criteria as it is because I love, I love things that aren't black and white. I I love subjectiveness and gray and debates that kind of get left up in the air where there's really no winner in that. What I would do different for the high and hate it. Just say this: hated this idea at first hated it uh, when it was for, when it was first thrown out by one of my former co-hosts just was was offended as a, as a former Heisman voter I was offended that this was even thrown out but after much consideration the one thing you need to do with, with with this with this vote is you need to shrink the base there are way too many people voting on the Heisman trophy and, and and that's just, that's just that is the simple truth. There are way too many people that have a vote. You don't need, and I don't know what the number is, but I, but in Oklahoma we got a there's a bunch of people that vote from this state. You don't need that many Heisman votes. Let the past winners. Let a panel of coach. Well, you can't really. I, I would not let a panel of coaches vote uh, because I think they'll always be swayed towards their players, their schools. I, I think I think former play. players are the same way too, though. Like I, I don't. I mean, Matt Leinart is always going to vote for a USC quarterback if he's in the conversation. Well, we know, you know we I mean? know Bar- we know we know we know Billy Sims will always vote for an OU guy, right? right. Um, I, I, yeah, but you're going. What you need is a smaller group of people to vote, but it needs to be somehow represented by region. Yeah, because there are certain kids who are never going to sniff this award simply because when they were being recruited at the time they were recruited, they weren't good enough to go to a power five school or, or it's not that they weren't good enough. A power five just didn't offer them. And then they go to that group of five school and then bam, they develop, they take off. And then all of a sudden you've got an NFL caliber player on your hands. That kind of kid needs to be, Represented, so I don't know if you can necessarily say have to have rushed for a thousand yards, thrown for two thousand. <coughs> excuse me, there caught so many touchdown passes, whatever. Yeah, 
I don't know that you can you can ever put that into a box. I mean, and then the other thing is, is I I'd like to see some positions that don't normally get considered get considered for the Heisman. I it's probably not realistic for an offensive for us to think about an offensive lineman winning this. A defensive lineman has a better shot because of the things you said about the dominant Sue. Right. Because you can you, you can just have that dominant year where you just stick out. A safety is probably never going to win this award. No. A cornerback can, and a cornerback has, and that would be Charles Woodson, but he won it mainly because he was on specialty. And Yeah, he would play um, a little bit I, of offense. He would every once in a while have an offensive appearance and then obviously scoring touchdowns and special teams like is the separator. So I don't know that I would so much change the criteria as much as I would just shrink the voting pool. And, and I think even shrinking the voting pool you're still going to get the same results that, that, that you're getting now, which is essentially what, what everyone has come to is that if your team is winning and you appear, and then this is the key word here, you appear to be the best player on your team, you're going to get those votes. Like right now for, for Oklahoma, Spencer Rattler is probably the only guy that can get the votes. But, I mean, are, do we know for sure that Ronnie Perkins may not be OU's best player next year? Right. I mean, so I don't know. I don't know. I mean, criteria. I mean, how many sacks do I put on that? You got to have five sacks. Yeah, you know, six interceptions. That's, that's a great point because Should- last year I remember, I, like, I made the case for Chase Young to be in the conversation. And and look, when it was all said and, and done, he deserved to be. Nobody, nobody deserved the award more than Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow should have been the guy that got it. But I, I made the point all year last year that Chase Young wasn't getting enough consideration. I thought that throughout the year, and Joe Burrow, like I said, separated himself, but I thought throughout the year, the conversation was Joe Burrow and Chase Young were the two guys that just, when you watched all of college football, that just stood out as insanely better than everybody they were competing against. But I I think when you consider him missing games a year ago, that obviously hurt. But secondly, like I remember people saying, well, his sack numbers aren't really representative of, like, you know, or, or like, in one big game, for example, like, I remember, I'm trying to remember who they played, maybe Michigan or somebody, but I remember watching, like, one of the national shows, and they said, well, Chase Young can't be considered because he didn't have a sack in this game, or something like that, and I thought, here's the biggest problem with with that part of, of what we're talking about. Chase Young literally prevented that team from going to his side of the field for an entire game. Like, the opponent didn't didn't run any plays toward Chase Young's entire side of the field for a whole game, and you're saying because he didn't have a sack, you don't think that that qualifies him for the Heisman Trophy? How Like, think about how mind-blowing that is. That, that That's ridiculous. It's like the I whole mean, Deion Sanders you, thing, right? Like, if somebody has more, yes, like, it is. if he somebody took, has a bunch of interceptions, then you're like, right, right. He takes away half the field. People are going to throw to him, so therefore he can't get the stats. I mean, and that alone ought to tell you right there how good he is. If people won't go at him, then yeah, then there's it almost quit you know quells the argument about who is the most impactful. And that's the other thing: is it best? Is it impactful? Is it valuable? Right. I mean, these are all these are all words that 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 lie within the eye of the beholder here. And, and, and to, you know, like 
I mean, Deion, how did Deion Sanders not win a Heisman? That, again, that blows my mind. For as great as an athlete as that guy was, I mean, he probably was the best player in college football while he was playing. Now, granted, his Florida State team got absolutely whacked by Miami right, right out of the gate one year, and that yeah. probably took him out. But is that is that necessarily his I think his last year I mean, also was Barry Sanders last year, which, I mean, Barry Sanders, I, I feel like, had the greatest single season in college football history. So uh, that, prob- that probably didn't help Dion's case, yeah. No, it, 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 you're, you're absolutely right. And both of them are Hall of Famers, and, and arguing between those guys comes really to splitting hairs. And, yeah. And you, you, think, you, you think about what this award is. I mean... Right now, you can pretty much predict that whatever teams are moving towards in the college, or moving towards the college football playoffs are going to be the ones that have the Heisman finalists. Yeah, for sure. And the one thing I, I don't like about the award and that needs to stop is one, I believe that this is just my belief, my opinion, is that the conference championship games are postseason. Those aren't regular season games. And all too often, that game, that conference championship game, because the votes have to be in the Monday after that, right. weighs the vote. And I remember one year, the Ndamukong Sioux year, I turned my vote in before the conference championship game. I just, I, I'm like, you know what? No, I'm not letting that one vote, I'm not letting that one game sway my vote. I voted for Colt McCoy that year. And going into that game, he was probably the leader. Oh, yeah. Um, and I would the, agree. And the Dominicans too had a better game. I think Ingram ended up winning it that that year. And I remember having the conversation with them. They said, "You voted for Cole McCoy, didn't you?" I'm like, "Yeah, I did." And I said, "I just didn't want one game to alter my opinion of who I thought had the best season." And I think that's what happened. And and, and if you have it after the playoffs, if you have it after that game, or you have it after the conference championship game, all of a sudden you performing in that biggest moment. People go, oh, well, well, he's the best player. Well, no, what was the body of work like? Right. You know, one bad game does not, does not a season make, but that's how we want to judge everything at, at this moment. So there's a, there's a lot that probably needs to be discussed about the Heisman. You know, we just, we just kind of argued against, like, stats, but there, there has to be an argument for stats at the same time. And a, a good example of this would be the, the 2020 Heisman Trophy because, look, I, I think we can all look at college football and if, if you say, like, who's the best player? Who do you want on your football team? I think most people are going to pick Trevor Lawrence number one. But he missed a couple games and his statistics obviously aren't necessarily representative of what we would call a Heisman Trophy winner. So how, how much should that factor in? Because, again, I think nobody's arguing that Trevor Lawrence maybe isn't the most outstanding player, but the season he had, from a statistical standpoint, doesn't necessarily represent the kind of guy that most people would want to win this award. No. Um, but I do think he was the best player. Well, and going back to the conference championship game, I Dabo's probably swayed. I, I, I guarantee you, Dabo swayed a lot of people to vote for him. Yeah. Would it shock you if he won tonight? Yes, I'd be so stunned. I would be. Tonight? I would be stunned. I think Devontae Smith wins. You're probably right. 
it would not surprise me though if Trevor Lawrence won. I'd be or stunned. It, I, I think it, he finishes it, in the top three, but I don't think anybody, especially because he missed two games, I don't think anybody is going to give him number one consideration. I feel like everybody believes he's the best player in the country, so he's going to be on probably every ballot. But I, I just I don't think he's going to get that number one spot on very many because I think there's a, a certain built-in element where if you don't have if you don't play every game, first of all, I think that disqualifies you for a lot of voters. And secondly, again, like twenty-four touchdown passes on the season. Uh, I mean, Kyle Trask basically threw double that. Now, I'm not trying to argue that Kyle Trask is more deserving by any means, but I'm just I'm, I'm just showing you that. From a number standpoint, I, I think many people would not put Trevor Lawrence in that spot for that reason. Uh, you're pro- you're probably right. I I just felt like after them going out and waxing Notre Dame, and the fact that he didn't play in that first Notre Dame game and they lost, yeah, it was going to be one of those situations where it was like, oh my god. Look at how valuable he is to his team, and look at how much of a difference he made. And yeah, how can you you, you not consider him now? And there was there there would be this wave of yeah, I'm voting for Trevor Lawrence. At worst, <laughs> I got him too. And just because I believe that voters are so susceptible to all that garbage. Well, that's also true. Um, I I'll give I, you that. Yeah, and, and and I just thought really, and, and after Dabo made his his pitch, I thought, yep, that's it. He's going to win it. So I, I just thought to myself, you watch, he wins this sucker. I hope you're right. I think the Monty Smith is, uh, of the guys that are nominated, is the best player and probably the most most deserving of it, but if they said Trevor Lawrence's name, it it wouldn't shock me in the least because, just because of that wave and because of, uh, of what the award has become in the last few years. Be like, oh, well, no, that, that makes total sense you know hook line, hook line and sinker one one game or actually two games in his case yeah. that that made the, that made the whole difference if if there was a ballot that had in in some order it doesn't necessarily have to be this order but in some order had Devonte smith Najee harris and mac jones as their top three how do you feel about that If there was a ballot that had Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, and Mac Jones, the three Alabama guys, who, by the way, all three finished in the top five, we know that. Uh, if if that was the one, two, three order on a ballot, is you think that's that's fair? No. Uh, well, actually, no. Wait a second. I do think that's fair. I let me let me backtrack. Yeah, I think that's fair. If you re- if that's what you really feel. But those are the three best players in college football or the three most deserving players. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Um, and, and it also, I mean, what that, what that ballot says to me, it says more about Alabama than it does the voters. It, it tells me that, that Alabama in, in one you know, rare year may have had three of the most outstanding players in, in college football, which <laughs> – I mean, when you when you think about that, I don't know. I mean, maybe some of those Miami teams from the late eighties, early nineties, or that those early two thousands could have you could have said that about where it's like, okay, well, 
who are the three best and whatever your criteria is for best. Right. Which is also, is it NFL ready? Is it, you know, when we start getting into all this, I can't think of a time. I mean, maybe during the Barry Switzer era, OU could have been in that conversation. Um, I can't think of a time when Bear Bryant was at Alabama when they would have been in that conversation. And uh, obviously, well, USC gonna, had had Leinert and Bush at the same time. They did. They also had White, and yeah. they had a couple of receivers. They had a couple of Dwayne receivers. Jarrett. Yeah, no. where, where maybe they could. But I mean, that's just one of those things where it's lightning in a bottle. And as much as people want to chalk that up to recruiting and development. There isn't a coach in America that's going to tell you when they bring their recruiting class in, oh, yeah, or, or, or you know, maybe three recruiting classes consecutively. By, by, by X time, by this date, we will have three of the best players in college football. No, that's, in a way, that's dumb luck. I mean, yeah, great job going out getting them to come to your school. Great job developing them. But you never think it's going to be that way. You think you're going to have good players and to help you win. You never think you're going to have the gold mine that Nick Saban had this year. So I think that says more about the, about Alabama that, than it would the voter being necessarily a homer and just what an outstanding year that they've had. I mean, that is, God, that's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Oh, I mean, yeah. OU, had, OU had White and Peterson. Is there anybody oh, else yeah, on those teams that, that you could have thought would have been the third guy, like yeah, no, or Westbrook and Mayfield and Westbrook one year. Yeah, but I'm looking for that third, looking for that third, and I don't ever remember are you having that that third guy the way that that Bama does this year. That's r- some rare air. Yeah. I mean, look, I think Najee Harris was the best running back in college football this year. I think Devontae Smith was the best receiver in college football this year. I don't necessarily, I, I don't feel that way about Mac Jones because. Like, I think if I just look at the quarterbacks, I don't think he's as good as Trevor Lawrence. And then from a numbers standpoint, his numbers weren't quite as good as Kyle Trask. Um, but, I mean, the guy's really good. It, it just, I think it, it just, and part of it for me, I guess, just watching what Devontae Smith and Najee Harris do with the ball in their hands supersedes any anything that Mac Jones has done all year long. So, um, for me, the, the quarterback there is the one that is tough. But again, it's the most important position in what is considered to be, you know, one of the best offenses in the last 20 years. So, um, he's, he's obvious and the numbers were good. I think he's, he's basically number two in every category in the country, only behind Kyle Trask. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I just, Najee Harris and Devontae Smith, both, every time they touched the ball, it felt like it was a highlight play. So that, that to me, I think probably hurts the Mac Jones argument. And, and, but again, I, I, I'm told if if all three of those guys are the one, two, three guys on your ballot, like I get it. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I don't have a problem with that. Um, yeah, I would have had a problem with uh, putting the Notre Dame quarterback on your ballot yeah. at, at one point. For sure. Um, but golly, I mean, the three best. I mean, well, and that's the that's the other thing. We value quarterbacks so much that in the Heisman and the NFL MVP, those two awards, it's very hard for anybody else to win those awards that aren't quarterbacks. And when they do, you just have to, I mean, your year has to be better than, than just about every other quarterback 
at that time to get that award. Like, you can make a really good case for Derrick Henry as NFL MVP this year, but he's not going to win it. Right. I mean, it's probably going to be Aaron Rodgers. Maybe Pat Mahomes wins it this year. I'm, I'm thinking Rodgers will. Rodgers will I, I think Rodgers has all the momentum. But was his year really any better than Derrick Henry's? And the argument then gets to, well, who can you take off the team and, the, and they're still winning? I don't think you can take either one of those dudes off their team. No. And then be the, sa- and then be the same organization no. that they are right now. Yeah, it's, it's a fun conversation to have. There's not necessarily a right answer, uh, per se, but um, I, I always enjoy talking about it, and I, I really enjoy getting the perspective of other people as far as like the, the whole criteria conversation because everybody views it differently. Everybody weighs things differently like for some people like I've literally heard Heisman voters tell me this if if a guy doesn't have that quote-unquote Heisman moment then that's that's something that is considered as far as getting the vote so uh yeah it's which is also I mean it's one of those like ESPN creations that somehow like has has become part of the criteria for people that carries a ton of weight which I think is ridiculous but uh that's that's neither here nor there yeah, no, but that's no. You're right, and when you think about Kyler Murray, it was second. It was really odd for Kyler Murray it was in the second half of the game they lost. Sort of became his eyes. Was sort of became his Heisman moment uh, for for OU, and yeah. then there's a few for Baker Mayfield you can point out. But you're right; it's that creation of ESPN, which is easy to feed to the masses and easy to feed to the voters, and say this. It's basically a way of people telling you this is what you should think. <laughs> right. Because, yeah. boom. And it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. Slaves to the narrative. Um, all right, let's, before we wrap this up, I, I want to wrap up with this. Uh, and, and obviously, we're going to talk a lot about this all off season, But Oklahoma, I think, I, I'll be curious to see what the, like as soon as the season ends, they're going to be the, early predictions for next year's national championship. I'll be very curious to see what Oklahoma's odds look like because I think when you consider the gap they closed this year with the premier teams in the country as far as physicality on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football, the improved defense, and what they have coming back next year versus, for example, Ohio State losing Justin Fields and a bunch of other players, Alabama losing that Heisman trio and a bunch of other players, Uh, Clemson losing Trevor Lawrence and a bunch of other players. Not that those teams won't retool and they retool extremely well every year. I just think the, the stars kind of align for Oklahoma to have a real shot at a national championship. I do think it's championship or bust next season. Um, obviously, you know, there's a certain amount of luck with injuries and things like that, that play a role. Uh, but I, I think Oklahoma's odds are going to be pretty shocking for some people. Yeah, they are. Um, the only caveat to that might be the fact that you're losing 11 players off the off this team. And you probably could lose. Well, Perkins hasn't made his decision yet, has he? And you're still no, kind of waiting. You're, you're still waiting on Ronnie Perkins, which would be a huge loss for, for, for that defense. Perry on Winfrey's coming back, which is a good thing. You're losing a couple of key offensive linemen, which... OU fans don't sweat that because in Bill Bedenboe we trust. Um, we're going to throw something out. Is Bill Bedenboe the best coach OU has? You can make that argument. Lincoln yeah. Riley. 
Well, a- including Lincoln and- Riley, is, is he the best coach they have? And I'm talking about from an an instructional developmental standpoint. You got to get Alex Grinch is, there- is in that conversation too. Well, I think it's different from I think it's different with coordinators, and, and, and I mean coordinators. Yes, putting I don't know. I I probably don't give coordinators as much credit as they deserve because I think you can have you can call all the great plays you want. You can call all the fantastic formations you want. If you don't yeah. have the players to execute them, then it really doesn't matter what you call. Yeah, no, that's um, fair. You can't. You can't really, no matter what you do, sometimes you can't put your team in good enough position to win if they're just not that good. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you look at it safeties, they play pretty darn well. Um, it's funny, I think Manning will probably get consideration, but I think instructionally, and that includes Lincoln Riley with the quarterbacks. Because here's the thing I'll say about Lincoln Riley. He's had three kids who have transferred and one five-star recruit. He hasn't had to take that two, three-star kid and then turn them into a Heisman. Now, Grant, you probably said the same thing about Bill Bedenbo. Says, oh, you did. Oh, you can pretty much get any offensive lineman they want at, at this point. But it, back to your original point, when you lose an offense, when you lose a couple of offensive linemen or three, OU fans don't really sweat it. It may take them two or three games to really get their bearings, but you have enough confidence that they're going to do it. The loss of Charleston Rambo, I don't know what to make of that one. Um, by all accounts, Mills is going to turn into is going to turn into the guy for Spencer Rattler and Trajan Bridges is going to come back in the, and the receivers are still going to be good. Austin Sogner's going to come back running back with, I mean, running back, you get better next year. You get better just from the guys who are, who are coming back, namely Kennedy Brooks. Yeah. So yeah, I'm with you. It, 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 it is championship or bust. I don't think these losses, that they have, other than backup quarterback, it did not make me happy to see Chandler Morris leave. Well, yeah, but if if, if, like, well, if you're in a situation where you have to play the backup quarterback, then I don't think you're really in the championship conversation anyway. So, like, well, I don't, oh, you still may be. Yeah, maybe because you've got uh, right. Caleb Williams. You've got you still have Caleb Williams on campus. But but the reason Chandler Morris bothered me is, you know, I look. It's obvious. Spencer Rattler goes down. Caleb Williams is there to back it up. Now, granted, it, it's if he gets hurt, I have no idea who's playing quarterback next year. <laughs> and I'm yeah. always one of those. I, I, I want three for a security blanket. So if I've got a guy like Kennedy Brooks, I just want someone to be able to turn around and hand the ball off to him that isn't a receiver. And I want somebody who can at least throw the ball well enough that my receivers can make plays. But I think even if you got him, I, this sounds so weird to say, I think even if something happened to Spencer Rattler next year, they might be in pretty good hands with Caleb Williams, which is nuts to say because the dude hadn't played it down at college football, but they're, man, dude, they're loaded for bear. Yeah. I well, mean, and, and the I'm talent level's to, there with Caleb Williams, right but like we, just as an example, we obviously saw the growth of Spencer Rattler throughout his freshman season, just having that real life game experience. So, I mean, Caleb Williams, again, has all the tools, but I don't expect him, if, if, 
Rattler were to get hurt, I wouldn't expect him to come in and be Spencer Rattler. Again, you sometimes you have to go through making those mistakes before you come out on the other side as a better player. Spencer Rattler did it this year. Look at Clemson. That uh, DJ Uyunglele is going to be an incredible player, yeah. but it, it's not like he threw five touchdown passes in every game that he like. He struggled in in the games that he played when Trevor Lawrence was out. So there are freshmen that come in and play well, uh, but to have this expectation that they're going to come in and play at the same level that a guy like Spencer Rattler's playing at right now after he's already kind of worked through his mistakes, I don't think is, again, like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I feel like they're championship caliber. Probably not. You're, you're probably right. Although, I mean, we've seen stranger things happen. I mean, yeah. sometimes you just got to get, you, you've got to get over... Yeah, you just got to get over, over that line. I The other thing that sets up well for OU going into next year, Iowa State's not going to be as good. Texas, again, uh, uh, as always, they're a huge question mark. I think Iowa State's going to be pretty game. good. I do think Iowa State's going to be pretty good. Brock Purdy and Brees Hall both coming back? Oh, what I think I then that's my mistake. For some reason, I thought those guys were, you were losing those guys. No, so Iowa State should be pretty good. Oklahoma State's a question mark next year. Um, and they're a question mark because a I, I running back I think they're good but not great next year. I still have my doubts about Spencer Sanders and whether or not he is the guy. Uh, receiver wise, you don't replace a guy like Tylen Wallace at Oklahoma State, but you are. I mean, it, it, it's not like you don't have other good receivers um, at, at OSU. Um, Oh crap! Who am I saying? The kid out of Big C, Presley. His brother's coming to Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. Brendan Presley. You've got him coming back next year, and he's got big play capability. Yeah, defense. They ought to be pretty salty next year. Yeah. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that defense going all season long versus and not have that two game swing like they did with with OU and Tech this year. If they can stay pretty salty on defense they can have something to say about who plays in the Big 12 championship game. But I agree yeah. with you. For OU, it's national it's national championship or bust this year. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Clemson's losing some key guys next year. Um, Alabama will always be good. I don't know how – I don't know how you know what LSU is going to be. I really don't. There's obviously talent there, but there's a lot of changes on that coaching staff. Right. Ohio State probably generally going to be – pretty good but I, I think this is one year where you're you've got probably less competition yeah than you've had in the past well look regardless um, like here's the thing Alabama Clemson Ohio State like they're they're a lot like OU in this regard regardless of who leaves they're going to have really good players waiting for their turn but a lot like OU this year a guy like Spencer Rattler isn't I mean those guys don't just like hit the I mean it's a rare thing for those guys to just step into that position on day number one and not make any mistakes along the way and be as good as the guy before them. So I'm not saying it can't happen, but odds are the next Ohio State quarterback, regardless of how good he is, probably isn't going to be Justin Fields immediately. Same thing at Clemson. DJ Uyunglele is really good. I think he's a future number one overall pick in the NFL draft. He's not going to be as good as Trevor Lawrence day number one next year. Same thing at Alabama. Uh, you know, whoever's next, uh, I think it's a, what's his name, Bryce Young, uh, who was the number one quarterback in the country a year ago. He, probably going to have some growing pains, you know, as as he 
kind of figures things out. All I'm saying is all those teams reload. They don't, you know, they we talk about that this with the Blue Bloods versus teams that, you know, like have all these, like in Oklahoma State, for example, they have to retool as opposed to reload. Um, all those teams reload, but they all have guys that are going to have to, you know, kind of do, go through the Spencer Rattler type situation. Whereas with Oklahoma, I think you're just looking at a roster full of dudes that don't really, I mean, kind of already know their role, have kind of already gone through those struggles and are ready to make a championship run. Now that's, that's, that, that's a good point. And your, your non-con sits up pretty well next year. I think you've got Nebraska on the schedule. Um, probably, I've I, I got to look at it, but I think it's probably one of the, the easier non-cons that, that OU has had. Yeah. in some time. Um, and, and the Big 12, again, I mean, o, OU has a, OU made a very bad habit over the last 20 years of finding pitfalls that that shouldn't be pitfalls along the way. And that's something that'll lurk in the back of most OU fans' mind. But I really get the feeling that, that this OU team, and I think you've got to go back to possibly 2003, 2008. Yeah where you could feel as confident as an OU fan about your team coming into next year than you have in a very long time. I think it's 2003, 2008, 2004. Those three years, this is about as close to it as as you've gotten in an awfully long time where it seems like you've got everything. Now, that being said, I don't think you had running backs. I don't think Kennedy Brooks is anywhere near in the class of Adrian Peterson and DeMarco Murray but he's better than what you had this year. And you would think that as the season goes on, he's one of those guys that's going to continue to get better. And with Spencer Rattler, uh, he's probably the most exciting player in the Big 12 next year because you just wonder, what's the next step for this guy? How much better? Yeah, but, (laughs) but not even from a Heisman standpoint, but... You know, he's never going to be as fast as Kyler Murray. Okay, that's, we just, yeah, obviously. You, you can't. Yeah. You, you, you can't be. But, you know, what is the next progression in his game? And that, that excites me. Yeah. That really excites me for him because he's already doing a good job of spreading the ball around. I think he, he will get locked on a, a time or two, but I think he'll do a, a pretty good job of, of correcting that part of his game. But, but where do we see him go next? That's what makes him interesting. Brock Purdy, um, it, it, I would say him and Brees Hall are probably the, the other two most exciting players in the Big 12, um, simply because what I want to see out of Brock Purdy is I want to have the discussion next year when you and I are talking, I want to know is Brock Purdy an upgrade from what our current NFL teams have. And I think he, I, I think he has potential to be that guy where we're having a debate of, man, yeah, I'd rather have Brock Purdy than the current guy that's on my roster. Yeah. Um, and and I think Brees Hall will be a really good NFL running back. I don't think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. His size worries me a little bit. Um, but he's in a position where if he can if, if he can last five years, then, then heck, that ought to be considered a Hall of Fame career anymore for a running back. So you've got three very interesting tasks including them, um, that are all going to be fun to watch next year in the Big 12. Yeah. Uh, and the good thing for, for OU is, is that they're heads and shoulders above everybody in the conference. 
even Texas. There's just not anyone that I think is going to put a real challenge in front of in front of them next year. Even even as good as I would say can be OU's twenty two and OU's top twenty two, and then the next and the next twenty two down. So their top forty four players are all better than Iowa State. Yeah, it's just that simple. Yeah, well, except for maybe you know running back, maybe the, maybe the only place where where they've got you is in one. Brees Hall may be better than Kennedy Brooks, but that'll be a fun debate as well. Right now, Spencer Rattler is the Vegas odds favorite to win the Heisman Trophy next season. And to your point about the Big 12, I think the Big 12 is going to be really good next year. I just think that it's one of those years where if you are Kansas State or Oklahoma State or Texas or Iowa State, you're probably just like, hey, we, we like our football team, but damn it, this is just one of those years where Oklahoma has a national title contender. So... Um, that's that's the thing. I, I think that it will be a good conference. It just Oklahoma is kind of in a point where they're taking that next step instead of kind of being on the same tier as they've been the last few years. So, yeah, championship or bust. Next, do you think next year? And this this is my dumbass dream that'll probably never happen. Um, in the current college football playoff format, let's say Iowa State goes ten and two next year, and there are only two losses are to Oklahoma. And the games are close, like this, like they're close. Like Oklahoma had had to make a, a couple of plays to win those games. Is that good enough? Do you think maybe to get the Big Twelve at least consideration to have two teams in the playoff next year, or do you think, or, or do you think the Big Twelve is just one of those conferences that unless it's OU or Texas and they split? there is no way you could even talk about getting two teams in. I think it kind of depends on what ha- I mean, they would need a lot of other help. Because, like, for example, like a one-loss Ohio State team, period, is getting in over a two-loss Iowa State team. Like, I just, I believe that. Same yeah. thing for, like, the SEC. Like, they have Alabama or, like, an LSU or a Florida. Any one-loss team from the SEC that that is one of those schools, like a Georgia a one-loss team from the SEC probably getting in over a two-loss Big 12 team, especially if their logo isn't the Oklahoma Sooners. So I, I think it would be, man, they would have to just be so dominant in every win and just feel like the two losses were, I mean, down to the wire, I think, to get that sort of, of uh, movement behind them. I, I would say it's probably pretty close to, to – I mean, you would need the perfect storm, stars aligning type scenario for that to happen, I think. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree with you on that. I And I think even if Ohio State and Iowa – or not Ohio State, but OU and Iowa State split, I think only the team that won the Big 12 championship would get in. And yep. I'm 100% convinced that if it was Iowa State, the committee would find a way to keep them out. Yeah. I'm – just 100% convinced of that. I think it's OU, Texas, different conversation for the committee. Agreed. Uh, I think for OU, OU and anyone else, it better be OU winning that Big 12 championship game because they don't want the thought. They don't like the thought of Baylor, TCU, OSU, Tech being in the college football playoff, which is another reason to extend it or, or expand the playoffs. You're going to have to expand the playoffs if if any Big 12 teams not name OU Texas really yeah. 
really want a shot at well i mean if if you if you run the table then you're getting in but yeah i mean if you leave it up to you know the whole like we have to all things are equal so we have to start evaluating this thing then yeah you you get the short end of that but if if iowa state runs the table if they're if they're an undefeated big 12 champion they're in there's no question in my mind it's just as soon as you lose a game then it's it's up for evaluation and i mean the people that say the logo matters, yeah, that's where the logo absolutely matters. If if Iowa State has a loss and then they start getting compared to all these other one-loss teams, then yeah, they they, I mean, on, on some level that plays a, a factor. I don't think it's the end-all, be-all, but it's part of the argument for sure. So yeah, and that yeah, that, just, that was really not fair for this top trip. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, my friend, uh, I got to run. Uh, but we will catch up again next Tuesday. Always appreciate it, buddy. Thank you very much, Colby. Eric G. joining me on the Colby Daniels Podcast. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. Visit the website abotanicalcompany.com or give them a call, 405-458-9699. Educate yourself on what they have available and how it can benefit your daily life. Uh, Again, ask questions. They're more than happy to answer questions and help educate you on what they have and how it can benefit you on a daily basis. So the website, abotanicalcompany.com. You can order online. Use the discount code ColbyShow, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, for 15% off your online order at abotanicalcompany.com, Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Uh, If you want to contact me, you can do so via Twitter at Colby underscore Daniels. Colby.Daniels on Instagram. And don't forget, if you miss these uh, these live streams, uh, we're posting the videos now. I haven't been promoting it until, like, literally the, the last couple days, but we're posting the videos on YouTube now, so you can go back and watch it there as well. Just search Colby Daniels on YouTube, and you can find that channel. So, anyway, uh, hope everybody has a great day. Stay safe, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.